Kate Wheeler in the studio with Christine Bentley, and you are listening to What She Said right here on 105.9 The Region. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, today's show is brought to you by locallove.ca, which is a guide to living well and doing good, published by United Way Greater Toronto. And while it offers smart and simple ways to give back and inspiring stories about changemakers in the GTA, it also features challenging ideas and debates. Chances are you've seen or heard a land acknowledgement at some point in the past few years. And we are going to kick off today's show talking to Selena Mills, an Indigenous writer and editor who just wrote an article for locallove.ca about Indigenous land acknowledgements and why they matter. And it's it's gone viral. It's uh, It's the most... The biggest post ever. People are really commenting on it. They're learning from it. So we're going to talk to her um, about the article itself, about what locallove.ca does and what exactly Indigenous land acknowledgements are. Yeah. Now, you know, it's almost turkey time. Yeah, I know. I know. So whether you're tackling a Thanksgiving turkey for the first or the 100th (laughs) time, we have a guest for you. Emily Richards is a home economist, cookbook author, and TV personality who will be here with her top turkey tips to ensure your big bird is the best it can be. (laughs) And might I suggest that you might want to listen to Kate's tips as well. Uh, You should write a blog. No. no, Well, maybe I should, but not when it comes to turkey. I'm going to leave that to the expert. And speaking of experts, Dr. Julia Carroll, one of Toronto's top cosmetic dermatologists, is going to bust some acne myths and help us answer the question, I am not a teenager, so why do I still have acne? Musicologist Eric Alper is talking about mistakes in songs in On the Record. (laughs) Asante Wealth Management has launched a charitable giving program. Tina Tarantian, the branch manager and senior wealth advisor at Asante Capital Management, is going to tell us how you can incorporate philanthropic giving into your overall wealth plan. And closing out the show today, we'll be talking to Juno Award-nominated producer and DJ, Kill Them With Colour, about his new EP, Coastal, which is out right now. And do not forget this. We have a fabulous Facebook Live giveaway up now from our friends at Chocolat Favori. They have an incredible store right up the street here at Eagles Landing in Vaughan. And all you have to do is follow us on Facebook and tag a friend who you would share the gift basket with. It would be you, Christine. Uh, (laughs) Right. (laughs) It would never get past your family, my dear. Be sure to give us a follow on social media at What She Said Talk. And if you want to listen to past shows, check out our free Apple podcast. You can find all of the links on whatshesaidtalk.com. Thank you again for tuning in. Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. To contact the show, go to whatshesaidtalk.com. Have you heard? Locallove.ca is your exciting new guide to living well and doing good in your community. Want daily content that will make you feel connected, in tune, and inspired? Follow at Read Local Love today and listen on What She Said Talk right here, weekends at noon on 1059 The Region. What she said. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. 
Well, chances are you have seen or heard a land acknowledgement at some point in the past few years. Joining us now is Selena Mills, Indigenous writer and editor, who is here to tell us about an article she just wrote for locallove.ca about Indigenous land acknowledgements and why they matter. Welcome, Selena. Ani, bonjour. <laughs> now, the Local Love, let's start explaining that. Mm-hmm. Locallove.ca is a guide to living well and doing good. It's published by the United Way of Greater Toronto, and it offers smart and simple ways to give back as well as inspiring stories about change makers in the GTA. It also features challenging ideas and debates. So, And your post has gone viral. It's their most read post so far. Apparently. Apparently. <laughs> so, so let's start at the beginning. What exactly is a land acknowledgement? Uh, land acknowledgements are an honest and accurate way to really honor the original first occupants of a place. So mm-hmm. in the case of Turtle Island, uh, colonially known as Canada, um, it's a way to honor First Nations, uh, Métis, Inuit, and Indigenous peoples right here with steps towards actionable steps for reconciliation. So that reconciliation is a big buzzword right now. Mm -hmm. And we um, here in Canada have so many loving people who really care about doing the work to get there. Mm -hmm. So now many people have been exposed to land acknowledgements. Many have questions about why, Mm -hmm. um, what they're meant to do and how we should interact with them. Mm -hmm. So tell us why you believe that they are so necessary. Um, it's really important to honor broken treaty relationships as well as the original first occupants of a place and to uh, respect um, Indigenous worldview and perspectives in regards to literally being related to the land, having an mm-hmm. umbilicus to the soil of the land and where you're from. We um, Many Indigenous peoples have the worldview and perspective that we, Mother Earth is our original first mother. Um, so, and when our beliefs were restricted for so long to move forward in the future and how we move together, that's a part of it. So connecting all the dots in regards to the history, the accurate Confederate history of Canada, so that we can move forward together in the future, honestly, is a first step. You can't, we can't have reconciliation before truth. And so land, acknowledge, land acknowledgements are an everyday, consistent way for the attempted erasure of Indigenous peoples of this land to be confronted. So there are lots of differing opinions, yes. even among Indigenous yes. people and yes. communities, about <laughs> land acknowledgements. Yes. But you say you designed this article to keep in to keep that in mind, mm-hmm. and, and it's not supposed to be definitive. Mm-mm. No. Um, so, if, you know, for example, I myself here mm-hmm. speaking about land acknowledgments and indigenous perspectives and worldview. Mm-hmm. I am not the expert. I do not, you know, represent everybody's um, opinion, um, and we don't all have the same worldview. You know, we have to take into consideration complicated things like the effect of colonization and. Uh, indoctrination when it comes to religion. So we have many Indigenous peoples who hold very different values and beliefs. So I'm of the pool of Indigenous peoples who are, um, I'm not indoctrinated into religion. So I I do believe in worldviews in terms of connected to the land and being related to the land. So that's that's a big thing to Mm -hmm. acknowledge is that 
we don't all think the same and have the same opinion, just like any other cultural group. So I don't really know why we're expected to agree on everything when it's understood <laughs> that other cultural groups don't agree on everything either. So that's a big one. And also um, our children. Um, another indigenous perspective is the seventh generation rising, um, the next seven generations of children. How are they going to move forward in the future together? How are they going to cohabitate on Turtle Island together in such a small way as um, self-introspection and emotional intelligence, doing that work? You know, this is work that good human beings are um, – accustomed to doing. So we would want to apply the same thing when it comes to reconciliation, land acknowledgements, um, doing our own learning about the history of Canada that we might not have all been taught as Canadians, and moving together to show and teach our children, even if we don't have kids. I think human beings, mm -hmm. we care about future mm -hmm. generations um, and how they're going to move forward together. Let me ask you, you say that you don't all agree. Mm -hmm. Uh, what do you all agree on, though? There must be there must be a nucleus of uh, what do all Canadians agree mm. on? That's a you know that's a tough question, especially in this time where we are in a period of great uh, reclamation of our um, oral history and our perspectives and our uh, philosophies. They were restricted for so long. So for uh, to expect a culture to have it all together and for us to be all co cohesive and um, to be able to uh, come together in a very strong way when we are really in this, this generation right here of this reclamation and this uprising, you know, we're not all there. We're, there's different healing continuums that um, Indigenous peoples are on in terms of um, being empowered and being resilient and strong. So I, I struggle to answer that question mm -hmm. definitively because we're just in the middle of this really strong uprising. Okay, so so a lot of people say, I'm playing the devil's advocate here, say that I should not be held guilty for what my forefathers did. Sure. Now, a quote from the article that I really liked that spoke to that, it was, recognizing how generations before us have individually oppressed others doesn't necessarily mean we're admitting to being bad people today. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. If, if, we, if we focus on that, that being the issue and making it personal about us, then we're forgetting the bigger picture and the greater work at hand, right? Mm -hmm. if, if we're making it about us as opposed to truth, history, frame it whatever works for you. If you're a business person who applies the same critical thinking skills to a business deal, or if you're a student in university and you're accustomed to having your work critiqued and graded, it's... It, Try to apply that thought process to to this and the relationship mm -hmm. and the work necessary with Canadians uh, or amongst Canadians and Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. Um, I, I would try. I try to apply that that same thing when things get tough and you are required to do personal work and and look at your own perceptions and your own responses and how you. What really matters, what it really comes down to is how individuals talk around the dinner table or the boardroom table or at the, at the office when they hear a land, a land acknowledgement. That's, that's the real work. That's what really matters, those conversations and those immediate perceptions in mm -hmm. one's mind. Now, now, recently there was student protest against the reversion to the previous mm -hmm. sex ed mm -hmm. curriculum, yes. and some protests also included the decision earlier in the summer to cancel a writing session to enhance the Indigenous curriculum mm -hmm. in schools. Mm -hmm. Tell our listeners why that's such a concern. So while we are not naive to the fact that, of course, these decisions 
come from perhaps people who are pundits of the um, National Truth uh, uh, Center for Reconciliation and the work that they've been doing and the work that um, roundtable committee members who were writing curriculum for those writing sessions um, and, and that that got canceled, we're not naive to the fact that this the backbone of those decisions comes from a place of bias and discrimination and um, just the disbelief that we need to incorporate Indigenous worldviews and accurate history when it comes to residential schools and 60 Scoop and even things that are still happening right now today in terms of trying to control the Indigenous family unit um, that, you know, if we are not including that in the curriculum, then how is that history being honestly reflected mm-hmm. for Canada? You know, so much of the issues that we experience today in terms of Canadians trying to grapple with, you know, uh, this new information or how they see and perceive themselves as Canadians when they hear a land acknowledgement comes from a lack of education and understanding and knowledge about, you know, the the real difficult and complicated truths of of what government and church and state um, has tried to commit against Indigenous peoples. So how do we move forward honestly? If that really matters, then how we teach our children, the the history books need to be changed. Now, you can find Selena's article. You go into a a lot of these questions Mm -hmm. and and explain. It's up now on locallove.ca. And it was also illustrated by uh, the wonderful Indigenous artist, uh, Chief Ladybird. Now, how can people connect with you, Selena? Um, Well, they can connect with me through Local Love. We are also uh, doing a a second segment to this because, so see how I've struggled to articulate all of these big questions and Mm -hmm. big topics in a short 10-minute interview. Mm -hmm. Um, That's tough stuff, and it was tough to do within this article to connect all these points. So we're making a second uh, piece, segment that's focused on the history of Tecoronto because uh, Local Love's part of their mandate is to focus on the GTA. So they can find me there because I would love for people to see that beautiful video that Chief Ladybird is illustrating and then we are animating and they can also find me on um, Instagram and on Facebook I'm very easy to find Selena Mae Mills same handle on all of the above (laughs) yeah thank you so much for joining us okay thank you thank you for having me miigwech What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. Dear Diary, it's day 15 and I still can't seem to figure it out. How can Hill Street's alcohol-free beer and wine taste so good? A, they've invented a new undetectable alcohol. B, they're straight up lying to us. Or C, they're wizards and each drink is infused with the blood of dragons! I think I'm onto something. Hill Street Beverages. 0% alcohol, 100% taste. Available at fine retailers across Canada and at hillstreetbeverages.com. Have you heard? Locallove.ca is your exciting new guide to living well and doing good in your community. Want daily content that will make you feel connected, in tune, and inspired? 
Follow at Read Local Love today and listen on What She Said Talk right here weekends at noon on 105.9 The Region. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Well, it is almost turkey time in Canada, and whether you're tackling a Thanksgiving turkey for the first or the hundredth time, our next guest has some top turkey tips that will ensure your big bird is the best it can be. She's a home economist, cookbook author, and TV personality. Welcome, Emily Richards, to What She Said. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. How much turkey do we need when you're going out to buy? What What's, you know... What's the ratio? What's yeah. the key? So definitely look for a pound per person. So if you're having 12 people, a 12 pound per turkey will cover you. Now, if you want leftovers, go a little bit larger mm-hmm. because a lot of people like to cook that whole turkey so that they do have leftovers mm-hmm. or vice versa. Don't invite as many people. <laughs> <laughs> I always do uh, almost double that because I'm then thinking there are people who like white meat. There are people who like dark meat. So to make sure that everybody gets what they want. That's that's a great that's a great way to do it. The other thing you can do, I have my kids love dark meat. So what I do is I will buy a few extra turkey thighs and turkey legs and put them in the oven as well so that I have that little bit of extra dark meat. Okay, that's good because I've done two smaller turkeys so that I get the extra legs and that as opposed to one big one, but I, I, it just never occurred to me to buy them separately and cook yeah. them as well. It's fabulous. Ontario Turkeys Available has all the different pieces. So if you are looking you know, not to necessarily carve a whole turkey, you can just pick up turkey breasts or the dark meat, the turkey thighs and legs, and then you can accommodate to what your family likes. So you know, if it's an all dark meat crowd, you don't even necessarily need to cook a whole turkey. You can roast off those thighs and legs. Mm. So that, that's also an option for a smaller gathering, isn't it? It is, because definitely. Because turkeys don't come, I mean, they're not like chickens. They don't come in three pounds. No, the smallest you usually can get is about, um, you can find eight pound turkeys. They're very rare, but 10 pounds is typically, um, and that 10 to 12 pound, which is small. But for a small family, that's still a lot of turkey leftovers to deal with, and they might not know what to do. So Mm -hmm. definitely looking at the smaller cuts. Now you can get a single turkey breast that weighs almost two pounds. So that would be great for, you know, a family for four to six, and then having that little bit of leftovers. I I, I cook a turkey throughout the year or a turkey breast, um, because I I think we just always think of it as a, you know, as a holiday meat. It it definitely is thought of during during the holidays, but oftentimes, especially during the holidays when the turkey prices are low, it's great to pick up that extra turkey if you have room in the freezer mm-hmm. and then roast it off on a Sunday and then you can make meals through the week. So there's tons of ways to use those leftovers and make meals for your family. Okay, now we've, we've said the word freezer. <laughs> Defrosting a turkey. That's a big one. It is. So take us through the proper way to do that and any tips you've got. So the best way to do it is in the refrigerator, which takes time. It's about five hours per pound. Okay, so that'll take a long time. Definitely put it into a container. So if you have a foil roasting pan, set your turkey in there in the fridge. You're obviously going to need enough room in your refrigerator. Yeah. On the bottom shelf of the refrigerator's preferred and then let it just thaw. So you might need a couple days to thaw your really big turkey. If you need a little bit of speed, you can put it in cold water. So if you have a cooler and that takes about an hour per pound. So less time, but you do have to make sure that that water's cold. Stays cold. Yeah, that's right. Now I brine my turkey. Um, and I always buy a fresh turkey to do it. But if you are brining your turkey, can you put 
the a frozen turkey in the brine and let it thaw in into the brine? I know there's a lot of people that like to do that. It is still best to thaw it completely. First. Exactly. And then so it. oftentimes there's that little bit inside the center that's a bit frozen, um, and then you can slip it in. By the time you've brined it that 24 hours, which is a typical brine, mm-hmm. it will have thawed, but it should be completely thawed first. Mm-hmm. So let I just want to know before we get further into prepping the turkey, which is the big, the big reveal <laughs> the big to here. Do, yes, <laughs> um, a, a, a turkey, a butter ball. What 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 are the options? There's and tons of what, options. What are the pros and cons? So there's each? it's basically the size that you need and right. how much time you have. So oftentimes a lot of people bank on that fresh turkey. They've ordered their turkey. They're ready to go. Mm-hmm. And what's great about that is a 10 to 12 pound turkey is only going to take you about two and a half to three hours roasted at 325. So we think, oh, it's going to take forever. And long ago of the days of the overnight turkey, um, whereas, you know, you'd put it in the night before. So you had this beautiful turkey, which oftentimes was quite dry. Well, I- <laughs> dry, dry, dry. So it's it's not it's not that way anymore. But for a smaller family, speaking to Butterball, which is Ontario turkey as well, you can get those frozen stuffed roasts mm-hmm. that in four hours you have a nice little serving for you know six people. But even if it isn't uh, stuffed, what what it, what does that mean, Butterball? Is it just a brand, or is there something? It is a brand, and what it is, they infuse the turkey with that flavoring and to help keep it moist, because that's one of the biggest complaints, especially when it comes to turkey breast, is that it's not moist. So that's kind of what helps it, is just having that little bit of butter in there to help keep it um, nice so, and moist. So let's let's start prepping. What do we do? <laughs> uh, well, once it's thawed, obviously, that's you know your first key. Give it a rinse and pat it dry, and then make sure you clean your sink afterwards, because that's really important Absolutely. to keep the food safety part of it. And if you're going to make a gravy, keep those giblets and neck and simmer them in some water, because that's going to add some flavor to your gravy later on. Um, your choice, stuff or unstuffed, ladies? Do you like... I always stuff. I I stuff. (laughs) I stuff and then put extra in a... In a casserole? In a casserole, because everybody likes the stuffing. So a lot of people like the soft stuffing, which is Mm -hmm. perfect when you stuff the the turkey. And then I like crusty stuffing, so I always have that casserole on the side. (laughs) Um, If you unstuff the turkey, so if you don't have it stuffed, it actually takes less time. Um, so that 10 to 12 pound turkey will only take three hours. With the stuffing, it takes a little bit longer because you want to make sure that stuffing is fully heated yes. through in the center. So you're looking for 165 degrees for that center stuffing. Now, I um, after I brine it, I, Christine does this too. We, we cover our turkey before we roast it with bacon to keep... That keep is super delicious. Yeah. But, I, I, but I've also heard that you're meant to roast it to keep help keep it moist. You're meant to roast it breast side down, which yes. you can't do the bacon. So. Well, you can still do the bacon. Um, the bacon will still be there to add flavor, and it kind of s- cooks a bit on the bottom. I've done it that way. I've also used prosciutto, which is absolutely Ew, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I never did the bacon for flavor. I did it for the fat because it's instead of, you know, if, if you're not sort of there basting it all the time, if you've got a big per turkey, like a 20-pound turkey, it needs a bit of basting. So it does, um, but it doesn't have to be done as often as you may think. So if you're cooking it at 325 degrees, which is our standard kind of roasting temperature, um, and checking the temperature, which is kind of the most important thing. So inserting that thermometer into the thickest part between um, the thigh and the leg, Mm -hmm. you're looking for an unstuffed turkey at 170. For stuffed, it's 180. So oftentimes... That's where 
people kind of let it cook and cook and cook. I remember the first time my grandmother ever cooked a turkey, the legs had fallen completely off because that's what she was waiting for. That was her kind of sign of being done. And it doesn't need to be that way. Um, so temperature is really where it's key. And then the breast ends up retaining that moisture. You can add that flavor and the moisture before you start roasting it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can add butter under the skin. You can add a little bit of oil to get it a little bit more golden brown. Or you can do something. I brought you a smoked turkey today. It looks fabulous. So, <laughs> having that smoker, it keeps that moisture in there and it also helps... Um, Add a little bit more flavor. How do you, how do you you actually put it in a smoker? I put it in a smoker, um, and this is um, a recipe on MakesItSuper.ca. It has a nice little bit of spice and herbs to it, so it gets that nice golden brown color from being on the smoker, but also from the addition of a little bit of uh, ancho chili powder. Emily, I need a new kitchen. <laughs> I need a smoker. I need a briner. I need a whatever. I'm just going to cook turkey. Um, okay, so what? Any other recipes up there? What to do with the leftovers once we've? Yes, there's tons on yeah. the website. We have lots, and it can be anything from a pasta to a sandwich. One of my favorites, which I think you ladies would love, is um, an apple cheddar pie. So it's just using store bought pastry. You take some leftover turkey, a little bit of grated apple and cheddar. You put it in and you bake it. There's these cute little hand pies. Kids love them, and they're great appetizers too. Okay, so that's make it super. .ca. Um, where can people connect with you on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter? Is it all at Ontario It's Turkey? all at Ontario Turkey, definitely. Okay, so, so then, and the recipes run the gamut? They do. Um, we have soups, we have roasts, we have all cuts of turkey. So we talked about thighs and drumsticks, but there's scallopini, ground turkey, um, lots of ideas on how you can incorporate them into your weekday meals, but mm-hmm. also for entertaining. And can you freeze the leftovers? You can freeze the leftovers. Ah, you can. I've always wondered that. I never did because I wasn't sure if so it was safe. Oftentimes, but, after, but if you have a lot, you don't want to eat turkey that's right. for, for a bit. And what you can do is you can make things with those leftovers. So if you want to make a casserole, mother-in-law's favorite casserole was stuffing on the bottom, mashed potatoes, turkey on top, slathered gravy and cranberry sauce on top, and tucked it in the Whoa. freezer. And then you have Thanksgiving dinner dinner all again. Emily Richards, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Thanks today. for having me. <laughs> What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Meridian's three-year escalator GIC can help you save for a bucket list trip. In the first year, earn 2% interest. In the second, 3%. In the third, 4%. Those escalating savings could be the difference between this trip and this trip. Visit a branch or meridiancu.ca today to get started. Meridian, saving for a better life while living your best life. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. Passion is everything when it comes to hair, so trust your hair to an artist. Jason Kearns of Kearns & Co. is known across North America for making the hottest high fashion looks work for real people. Jason and his team of expert stylists bring together creativity, vision, and the very latest hair care systems, color, and products to create looks that have heads turning. Your hair is the most important fashion accessory you will ever own. Trust it to the experts. Start today. Visit KearnsandCo.com. This is 105.9 The Region. What she said. She's powerful.
beautiful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Joining us now is Dr. Julia Carroll, one of Toronto's top cosmetic dermatologists, who is here to bust some acne myths and help answer the question... I'm not a teenager. I wish, but I'm not. So why do I still have acne? Welcome, Dr. Carol. How Thank are you? Thank you. I'm great. This is such an important topic. It's I know. It's devastating for so many women and men as well. Let's talk about some stats here. Who gets acne and how common is it for people in their adult life? Because we think it's a teen thing. But maybe not so much. No, I would say more than 50% of adults have acne. And if you actually look at Google statistics, it is the top Googled skin condition in the world and in Canada as well. So people are desperately searching at night for this. Okay, I'm in my 50s and I still get the occasional pimple. Is that considered acne or are you talking... You know, not the odd pimple. So acne is just a a title, but that includes, you know, pimples, zits, breakouts, blackheads. That's all under the category of acne. So why am I still getting it, you know, at 57? A lot of times it goes back to hormones. Okay. So we have fluctuating hormones when we're in our teens, which is where you see the more classic acne. But particularly as women, we have hormones that go up and down. And it's not necessarily that there's a medical problem in in all cases, but just these little fluctuations and you see little breakouts. Mm. How uh, do you tell acne apart from something like, let's say, rosacea? That's a great question because I have a lot of people that come in and they're treating themselves as if they have acne, which is making it worse because they actually have rosacea. So the real delineating thing is a blackhead. If you have blackheads, that's acne. If you don't, it might be rosacea. If you have more broken blood vessels on your face, that's leading us more towards rosacea. Um, but sometimes there can be a little bit of crossover there. But the blackhead really is the thing that, that tells me as a dermatologist that, no, we are dealing with acne. So let's go through some of the, the myths Great. versus facts. So acne will clear more quickly if you scrub your skin clean. True or false? I should ask you guys. <laughs> That's actually false. So I see a lot of that from teenagers up until, you know, to my adult uh, patients as well. They feel like it's a dirty thing, but it's not. Acne has inflammation in your skin. So if you're scrubbing, you're actually creating more inflammation and you're not helping the situation. Well, it's funny because I had oily skin as a teenager and thought that it was the oil because that's what we were told. It's part of it. And later on found out that by rubbing off the oil, then it was promoting my, it was sort of pushing my skin to make more oil. Absolutely. And that can happen. It's like washing your hair. If you wash your hair every day, it's greasy by three o'clock. And it also puts too much blame on, on the, uh, on the patient. So women come in and they're, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, Mm -hmm. but it's not what they're doing wrong. It's, it's their body and we can help with that. Okay. Okay. Myth number two. Some acne treatments just don't work. For some people, they don't work. For some people, no. I can clear everybody's acne if we work together. Some people I can clear quickly. Some people it takes a while, but I can definitely get everybody clear. uh, Treating acne when you first get it can prevent it from getting serious. Absolutely. So when I see a scar on someone's face, that is a 911 emergency, and I want to get someone treated really quickly and be a little bit more aggressive. So that's a sign to me that we have to get on it quicker. Changing your pillowcases and sheets once a week can help improve acne. That's a great idea because a lot of bacteria is harbored in those sheets. So that just gets some of the bacteria off the face. Makeup. Don't wear it if you have acne. 
okay, come on. If I have one pimple, I'm, I'm going to cover it, it up. Yes. Yeah. So you just have to find the right makeup. So look for oil-free, non-comedogenic, a little bit of trial and error. Um, but, you know, we need makeup to get through those breakout days. And the gr- it's green. Green is oh, green the, the, color. the color that you should use because that counteracts the red. I find that so hard. I don't know. You ladies are probably you better. Go green. You're probably I, better I have, makeup than me. that they gave me in the makeup room, yellow. Yeah, yellow. Like yellow is kind of black. dark. For dark yeah. green is for red. I've got. Uh, I have a kit that has all different. Does it different work? Color. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, okay. Once your acne is clear, you can stop treatment. No, a lot of times, you know, hopefully you'll grow out of it, or hormones will change. But my patients always leave with a maintenance plan. Um, no uh, promises of overnight success. Is hype because that doesn't work or does it? It doesn't work. There's no such thing as overnight. Now, I can do some little zit-zapping tricks in my office with lasers and injections, but to actually get someone better the next day, that's not going to happen. Blackheads are dirt trapped in your pores. No, it's oxidized sebum or oxidized oil on your face. Tanning helps clear up acne. No, no, no. No, So it might temporarily fix things and it hides a lot of scars, but... It actually will lead to that inflammation, make things worse, and it can leave permanent marks behind on the face. Okay, squeezing or popping helps clear up zits. No, again, that drives that inflammation cycle. So it may feel good at the time and you might get, you know, a scab and it falls off, but you've caused more inflammation and potentially scars on your face. And acne is not really a big deal. That is so not true. I, know. I mean, you. Ha- I know because I had it as a teenager. It was a big deal. It's what led me to become a dermatologist. Really? Know? Yes. So where can people go to learn more and, and maybe seek out some help? So I think the Canadian Dermatology Association has some great information. So that's uh, dermatology.ca. Um, and then if you really are struggling, see your family doctor and possibly ask for a referral to a dermatologist because we're the skin experts and we can get you on the right path. And you're at uh, compassdermatology.ca. Perfect. Dr. Julia Carroll, thank you so much Thanks. for joining us today. And we will talk to you again very soon. Great. This is 105.9 The Region. What she said, she's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Joining us now for On the Record is musicologist Eric Alper, and today we are talking about mistakes, mistakes. made in songs. How can that be? Well, mistakes. You know, mistakes is it's really art. my, my is middle it, name. Is it, is it <laughs> mis- a mistake or is it just art? It, it's uh, a happy mistake. Oh. It would be a sad happy. So, in the words of, of in the words of family ties, it would be bashappy. Bashappy. There you go. <laughs> That's right. So, what's the mistake in the Beatles' "A Day in the Life"? Um, the the mistake is is that they got this guy Paul McCartney to write his songs. No, I'm only kidding. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a squeaky shoe that you can hear quite clearly in the Beatles' masterpiece "A Day in the Life" because that song was complicated enough. You had an orchestra of forty members. You had a seven minutes song that you had to produce and then Ringo Starr decided to just slightly shift positions during one of the playbacks and you could hear his shoe to starting to squeak and of course it happened <laughs> just when the sound was nothing and you can hear a pin dropping and if you listen quite closely to the song especially on CD not on some music streaming services you can hear it because that's where it gets picked up the most. So why wouldn't they fix that? Because they're the Beatles. Because everything they do is genius. Because it's genius. Which, which 
plays into Christine's comment are, yeah. It's genius. It's genius. There you go. That's right. Led Zeppelin. So Led Zeppelin, black count, uh, black country woman, was actually recorded outside in Robert Plant's uh, garden, and uh, it's a kind of simple, quietish kind of a song. But in the version that is on 1975's Physical Graffiti album, you can clearly hear an airplane flying overhead. It turned out that maybe the engineer or producer didn't get the flight patterns for his area, and the song was recorded um, with that sound in there and uh, the band decided to leave it in because it gave this, the track a little bit more ambience and a little bit more nature sounds of everything outside even though that it was from a large me- metallic hub that's floating <laughs> in the sky <laughs> Okay, that is The Who, and actually I I never really understood the lyrics for this one, and now I, I'm looking at this and going, maybe it's because they got them wrong. <laughs> exactly. It's really tough to figure out what somebody is singing when they may not even know what they're singing in the first place. So we all know that Roger Daltrey, the lead singer, had a stuttering performance on My Generation, mm-hmm. which started off as being a little bit of an in-joke, but they kept it in. Um, but bad timing on the chorus of Eminence Front was an entirely different matter. Pete Townsend, the uh, guitarist, enters in a syllable behind Roger Daltrey at roughly the 240 mark of the song and they appear to sing two completely different things one of them sings it's N and then Eminence Front and then the other one sings the Eminence Front so it's one of those small errors that they decided to keep because it kind of deems a little bit more natural rather than the rigid performance of a band that's been around for 35 years at the time So you think you could tell Heaven from hell Blue skies from pain uh, and here we have a mistake that became a life-changing moment. Yeah, that's Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here. And sometimes um, in the case of this song, it actually changes somebody's life. And in this case, it was David Gilmore, the guitarist of the band. While he was recording the intro lines to this song, because it's done on an acoustic guitar... David Gilmore was uh, like a two or three pack smoker um, and he let out an accidental cough during the recording of the guitar parts. They decided to leave it in, assuming that the track would have a little bit more of a cool ambience added to it. It turned out that when David Gilmore heard the playback in the studio, he was so aghast that he was coughing so much that he decided to quit smoking right then and there after hearing the song. I got me a Chrysler. My children in their 20s are playing the B-52s, and we were cruising down the road uh, in a car that was as big as a whale um, (laughs) and singing the Love Shack just the other day. So what's uh, what's the mistake? 
Oh, that came out of the blue. Like she completely was- out of the blue. One of the best parts of Love Shack. Yeah. Um, was an actual mistake. Kate Pearson of the band said that uh, lead vocalist and uh, Cindy Wilson. I love to say that she's the one with the with the giant hairdo, but then they both have hairdos, and then you they know do. you'd be the like red, whatever. The red hair. Yeah. So Cindy Wilson missed the cue during that so- during that part. Um, where they left it in where she sings Tin Roof Rusted. That was supposed to be just space. But because she missed her cue and started (laughs) singing the chorus, accidentally, they just decided to leave it in. And so when she realized that it was a mistake, the first three words out of her mouth were Tin Roof Rusted for some reason. And the band thought that that was hilarious, so they left it in. Which is the best part of the song, I think. Yeah, and and we always let you back in after. Right, after right. Talk about, mistakes, talk about mistakes that keep coming back behind everybody. Never mind us. <laughs> always. Oh, thank you, Eric. Thank you so much. What she said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Have you heard? Locallove.ca is your exciting new guide to living well and doing good in your community. Want daily content that will make you feel connected, in tune, and inspired? Follow at Read Local Love today and listen on What She Said Talk right here weekends at noon on 105.9 The Region. <clears throat> uh, excuse me, everyone. Now that I've discovered Hill Street's alcohol-free beer and wine, I've decided never to settle for anything less than the best. Linda, I will no longer eat your home-cooked lasagna. Dave, put your guitar away. You're terrible. And Janet, I'm leaving you. That's all. Please continue the funeral service. Hill Street Beverages. 0% alcohol, 100% taste. Don't settle for anything less. Available at fine retailers across Canada and at hillstreetbeverages.com. This is 105.9 The Region. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Asante Wealth Management has launched its charitable giving program, which allows clients to incorporate philanthropic giving into their overall wealth plan. Joining us now to tell us more is Tina Tarantian, branch manager and senior wealth advisor at Asante. Welcome back to What She Said. Hi, Christine. Great to be back here. So whether they wish to support the arts, conserve natural resources, advance medical research, or help the world's underprivileged children, the program provides a simple and tax-efficient solution to help clients achieve their goals. So tell us more. Um, You kind of distilled it. Um, The fact is, I personally have been helping my clients for years with their philanthropy, philanthropic tax planning, trying to get more strategic with their philanthropy. And I'm thrilled that Asante has introduced our own charitable giving program, which provides donor-advised funds as a vehicle for people to be more strategic about their philanthropy. It is a very flexible and cost-effective method of giving for People who want to control the timing of their giving because you can get your receipt right away, but you don't need to donate the funds to the charities immediately. You could do it over time. Uh, Some people sell their businesses. They have big 
tax problems and they're philanthropic, so they need the tax receipt that particular year, but they may not want to give a lump sum to one or even a few charities because of the amount of money involved, or maybe they're undecided. So a donor advice fund gives them that flexibility of getting the receipt, solving their tax issues, but taking time and thinking it working with the charities and making their donations over time. Well, you know, I mean, I I, I think this sounds like a very complicated thing to have designed. So congrats Mm. to you. Um, And and if I'm a client and I I walk in, so what is my interview with you going to be like if this is what I want to do? Okay. So first of all, it may sound complicated, but actually... It is an effort to make giving a lot easier because in the past, um, people who wanted to give bigger sums of money to charities set up private foundations. Setting up a private foundation involves a lot of administrative, Mm -hmm. legal, accounting work. There's compliance with CRA rules. There's audits that have to be done. So it has its own advantages, but there's lots of work and headache involved in running them. With the Donor Advice Fund, we're trying to take all of that burden off the shoulder of the donors and transfer it to the foundation. Benefaction Foundation administers the Asante Charitable Giving Program. So they will do all the legal administrative accounting work so that the donors can focus on what matters most to them, which is making an impact with their philanthropy. So Benefaction is a registered charitable public foundation. foundation. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So, and as you said, that would come at a much substantially lower cost than running it. Substantially lower cost and much more streamlined. So they will uh, manage the disbursement of the funds. Uh, The donor will direct them and it's according to the wishes of the donor which charities should be getting the money. Okay, so so where I, I get a little con- confused mm-hmm. is is you said that I can get the tax receipt for the year. Yes. But I don't necessarily have to make the donation in the The donation is made to the foundation, so you okay. that's why you get your tax receipt. Right. So you cannot get that money back anymore. But you don't need to give it to the beneficiary charities right away. So you may take three years to disperse that money between the different charities that you want to ultimately direct that money to. Okay. So and then then because you said that you've specialized in, in philanthropic mm-hmm. tax planning and have saved your clients millions of dollars in taxes of over the years. Mm-hmm. And then a big portion of these tax savings have been redirected to charities. Um, so are there... Is this the main way that people can save on their taxes and help their favorite causes at the same time? No, this is only one of the ways. And it it is a great way for us to engage our clients Mm -hmm. more in philanthropy. But there are many different strategies. Um, Some of them are pretty simple. It could be donation of stocks, bonds, securities in kind that will... um, eliminate the capital gains on those securities. It could be changing the beneficiaries on RIFs and RRSPs and life insurance policies. And some strategies are a lot more complicated. And yes. how, how does changing the beneficiary um, impact? Well, to give you an example, if your 
children are the beneficiary mm-hmm. of your RSP or RIF. So far, mine are. <laughs> <laughs> so the entire amount will be added to the income of the last spouse who dies and will be taxed as income. So there's going to be a huge tax bill, usually 50% or more, um, on the last death. If you name a charity or several charities as the beneficiary of your RSP or RIF, that will be considered a charitable donation by your estate and a charitable donation tax receipt will be issued, which will offset the income taxes that will be payable upon the last death. Except that you're not giving it to your children. (laughs) Uh, Yes, that's true. It goes to charity. But at the end of the day, sometimes it will even out because your children would have ended up with only half that amount. Anyway, half of it would have gone to taxes. And because of the tax receipt that your charitable donation generates, uh, yes, the state could be reduced, but it will be reduced a lot less than if you were to give it directly. When I when generation. I hear, you know, philanthropic donations and tax savings and all that, I think of people with large incomes. Mm-hmm. But you don't necessarily this is a good way for for all people to Absolutely, do this. absolutely. There are strategies for people with very modest means to make donations during their lifetime and to make significant bequests upon death um, that would benefit the charities that they really support and would enable them to leave a legacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A legacy. Um, is it possible through, through this to set up um, your own scholarship or your own thing or do they have to go go to a specific registry so basically with the donor advice fund you set up your own name donor advice fund one of the advantages also of setting up a donor advice fund versus setting up a private foundation is that a private foundation actually all of the books of the foundation are public everybody will know because all of your financial statements will be posted online and everybody will know exactly who you gave money to and what your strategy is. And as a result, you will get a lot of solicitation from different charities, foundations who Mm -hmm. are looking for grants. Mm -hmm. With a public foundation, it's completely private. So That's funny, isn't it? It's it's, it's the opposite (laughs) of what it is. (laughs) Exactly. So it's completely private. You can make it known If you want to be recognized for your donation, you can give the charity the, um, you know, authorization to publish your name. But if you want to stay anonymous, you can absolutely do that. And um, it really gives a lot of flexibility Mm -hmm. to the people who who establish it. And you can decide on the causes that you want to give to and set up – the mission of your charitable um, donor advice fund, um, and you can even have it continue after you're gone. Do you find because you've been doing this for for uh, you know a, a few years, do you find people are getting more or less charitable? I find that once people are educated about the strategies that are available that allow every Canadian to direct their taxes to charitable donations, to great causes that advance our communities and are important Mm -hmm. and make, you know, the donors have a connection with, the majority of people opt to 
make a philanthropic and charitable donation. I find that the ones who don't are usually the ones that have no idea. And naturally, we all want our loved ones, whether it's our children, our spouse, our family members, to be the main beneficiaries of our state. And a lot of people think that by naming a charity as beneficiary of their state, they are disinheriting their children or their family, which is farthest from the truth. Because Mm -hmm. if it's done right, you can actually even increase sometimes what you leave for your children and still give to the causes that you support. So where can people find more information about philanthropic tax planning? Um, There are websites available. One of the uh, better ones is Charity Village that has a lot of articles I on meant, philanthropic I, I meant tax more planning. connect with you. Absolutely. <laughs> and I have I have written numerous articles um, on these mm-hmm. topics that are available on my uh, personal website, tinateheranchian.com, and on my blog, tinateheranchian.net. So those articles are available there. And uh, I do a series of seminars on income tax reduction and state tax elimination for major charities that have been a great source of educating the public about philanthropic tax planning. So people who are interested, they can contact me and we can let them know about the upcoming seminars. Excellent. Um, Thank you very much for joining us today and telling us all about it. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Meridian's three-year escalator GIC can help you save for a bucket list trip. In the first year, earn 2% interest. In the second, 3%. In the third, 4%. Those escalating savings could be the difference between this trip and this trip. Visit a branch or meridiancu.ca today to get started. Meridian, saving for a better life while living your best life. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. This is 105.9 The Region. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Stop teasing me. Come closer, babe. Cause I can't wait anymore, Joining us now is Juno Award-nominated producer and DJ, Kill Them With Color. Welcome to What She Said. Hi, thank you for having me. Now, you're here hot off the heels of your latest single release, Coastal, that we're going to hear in just a minute. It has more than 100,000 streams across music platforms, and you've also just released a brand new EP of the same title. So tell us about that. Yeah, uh, that was a lot of fun. I created over the last year. I met up with a lot of singers and uh, kind of created these beats and uh, had these beats, was looking for singers, and uh, we we tried out a bunch, and it finally kind of came together within the last uh, couple months. Um, it It was a lot of fun to make. Now, you're based in Toronto, right? Yeah. And you've gained a large fan base for your remixes of popular songs from Kendrick Lamar, Lana Del Rey, among others, earning a combined 30 million views and listens on Spotify, <laughs> YouTube, and SoundCloud. 30 million? What does it that feel like knowing that 
so many people are listening to something you created. Yeah, no, it's humbling for sure. Um, I mean, you, you, when I, when you create music, you just make it for yourself. You don't really think about all the other people that are going to listen to it, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's totally humbling to see that those kind of numbers and the support that I get. Yeah. So do you find that after a while you you have more confidence in your ear? Uh, yeah, to go with a certain sound, for yes. sure. Yeah. I mean, I was definitely looking for my sound for a while. There were a couple years there where you're, you're, you're trying out different things, experimenting with different beats and samples and stuff. And mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely come together. But, I mean, that's a path, right? Like, in 10 years, I could have a totally different sound <laughs> and come back in. But if 30 million listens yeah. is humbling... Yeah. What would 100 million listens be? I mean, at what point do you have a heart attack and yeah. say, oh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's 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 all humbling. Um, it's uh, You must it's, detach yourself from that persona then. Oh, totally. Yeah. I can't live in that kind of like... I want to know about the name, <laughs> Kill Them With Color. Where did that come from? Uh, that actually comes from my mom. She is a visual artist. Mm -hmm. And uh, growing up in Trinidad, she'd always be selling art, and they used the term to kind of describe art that has a lot of color. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And I've always produced different genres. As I said, I was looking for my sound. And so Kill Them With Color applied in kind of two two parts. One that, like, it's a lot of color coming at you, but also the different genres and kind of like a palette of sound that I've created. Where can we pe people find you on social media? Yeah, uh, Instagram slash Kill Them With Color, killthemwithcolor.com, Facebook.com slash Kill Them With Color. It's all Kill Them With Color. It's all Kill Them With Color. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And that's it for What She Said This Weekend. We will be back next Saturday and Sunday right here on 105.9 The Region. Have a great rest of day. We are going to leave you now with Coastal by Kill Them With Color featuring Liliana Wild. Somewhere in between The west coast and the east Somewhere in between Being us or being you and me Baby, are we coastal? I miss you more than I'm supposed to Back to the cold while you're tripping and go on a
favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.